Good morning and welcome to Call Talk for September 30th. Our topic today is optimizing your caller satisfaction. During the call, we invite you to ask questions via email at calltalk at benchmarkportal.com or call in your questions at 347-857-3117. Everyone who asks a question via email or phone on the show will receive a free copy of Bruce's book, Benchmarking at its Best. And here is your host, Bruce Belfiore. Thanks very much, Sean, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. Uh, today we'll be talking about caller satisfaction. What is it? How to measure it? And, and really, what best practices are? And uh, my guest today is Joseph Ordina. Uh, Joe is uniquely qualified to talk about best practices in this arena since uh, he was really at the bleeding edge of new best practice approaches that, that emerged over the last several years. Uh, while Joe was at eBay, he was responsible for building an end-to-end -end feedback and loyalty program uh, across all of their entities. And as, as you know, over the last several years, they've grown a lot. Um, and Meg Whitman, in fact, who was the CEO of eBay at the time, uh, would monitor their CSAT performance on a daily basis from her office. Uh, we've got a picture of that, as a matter of fact. And, and Joe helped her set a high standard for, for this activity. Now, of course, as I think most of you probably know, uh, Meg Whitman is hoping to be the next governor of the state of California, Lord Helper, uh, and she'll need a lot more monitoring if, if she gets elected. So uh, since leaving eBay, though, Joe has consulted for uh, numerous Fortune 500 companies, and he's currently the CEO of Surveynomics, which specializes in hosted loyalty and customer feedback technology. Uh, so he's immersed in this stuff every day. Uh, Joe, welcome to the program. Bruce, thank you very much for having me. Okay, great. Well, Joe, let me start by asking, in your opinion, what does optimizing caller satisfaction really mean? Uh, what's the objective here? Well, you know, I think it's a, it's a great question to ask. And, you know, really the success of, of any organization, and in particular a service organization, you know, such as a call center, really, really depends on continuous improvement. And, you know, the key to continuous improvement comes through that, that listening, that listening of the voice of the customer, you know, in which we all serve. And uh, now this is really why it's important call centers have an optimized call satisfaction program so they can truly, truly be in touch with their customers. Now, this, this means understanding the customer touch points and really, truly mapping out your customer customer's journey through your call center, you know, to really help identify the points of success or failure, you know, throughout your call center. And an optimized customer satisfaction program really means the call center should perform surveying in order to understand customers' perceptions, you know, related to specific call center transactions. And, you know, it's kind of, kind of funny. Um, far too many organizations I've talked to, they tell me they conduct customer satisfaction surveys However, with, uh, with further digging, I, I asked them some follow-up questions, and I learned that they, they are surveys, but they're not surveys focused on the right, the right um, components. They're focused on measuring products, pricing, or a variety of other concerns that the call center may experience. And often, they fall into this trap of lumping these questions together and building this mega survey that's mm. more than 20 questions long, and it really creates this this survey exhaustion, you know, your, your customers just don't want to participate any longer in giving you feedbacks because they're too complex to participate in. 
You know, and, and Bruce, another mistake I see is that many surveys, surveys uh, you know, ask questions that could be measured in some, uh, some other way. You know, uh, you know, they ask questions that, are already, that we're already capturing uh, metrics on internally, the behavioral metrics that are being collected. For example, shouldn't we already know how many times a customer called in on an issue or what the reason for contacting customer support is? Mm. There's a lot of these that are being asked in surveys that we can already pull out and measure internally. Oh, good point, good point. Yeah, actually, that's one of the things that uh, drives uh, researchers crazy, us, for, for example, where you have uh, too many things thrown into the pot, too many questions asked, and, and mm -hmm. uh, sort of a confused survey that tries to get too much information for too many parts of the company, from marketing, from, uh, you know, uh, the, the sales organization, from the customer uh, you know, customer service area, and and if you throw too many things in the pot, yeah, it really does muddy things a, a lot. Bruce, did I lose so, you? No, I'm still here. Can you hear me? Okay, go ahead. You broke yep. up there. Okay, sorry about that. So what you're saying is that it's important in the in optimizing customer satisfaction surveys to have pure plays, to really have clear uh, surveys that are short to the point and are going after caller satisfaction only. Oh, you know, you know, Bruce, you know that, that customers are smarter than you think, you know, and they, they call you out on it. They, they, I've often read survey, survey responses that says, duh, you guys are asking this question, shouldn't you already know that? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and so they, they, they kind of view you as, what are you guys, dumb, in asking me that type of question when you already should be tracking that internally. Right. Right. Okay. Yeah. Good. Well, what are the primary ways in which call centers currently measure caller satisfaction? And in your opinion, what reflects uh, best practices, Joe? No. So, you know, let me introduce you to three types of, uh, uh, of surveys, you know, for a call center, and then also maybe introduce you to some multiple methods that are kind of becoming cutting edge um, and have been standard, you know, for a call center. You know, first, the different types of surveys. You know, one, call centers may introduce what are called specific purpose surveys. You know, the call center may want to conduct a one-time study to really ask a specific question about a call center operation. You know, for example, uh, the organization may wish to, to query their customers about whether the hours of operation are adequate or maybe learn about the pricing of a certain product, you know, that the, that the outbound sales uh, part of the call center is performing or to learn about the success factors that go into making a contact into that call center a success. All that can be then translated over to internal quality assurance measures, okay? The second, the second type of survey is a periodic survey, which are usually used to gauge customer perceptions around a specific issues in the overall relationship that they may be faced with in a specific department, like, for example, billing or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, you know, these type of surveys don't have anything to do with measuring specific transactions, rather how the organization is doing in the customer's eyes with respect to each of the, each of, you know, each of the doing business type attributes. Mm -hmm. um, the third and final, you know, type of survey is, uh, and the most popular, of course, is the transaction-based survey. And, you know, this is a survey that really measures the constant pulse of the customer base when contacting customer service. You know, yeah. transaction-based surveys are, are usually performed in conjunction or triggered 
off of specific events or transactions that take place. And so you're constantly gathering this feedback every day on how you're doing and how you're performing operationally. Now, these surveys are event-driven and should, should happen immediately after the event takes place to really gather that honest and true feedback. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, then, and then really quickly, Bruce, let me just, let me just say this about the, three, about the few methods. You know, all of us know that there's the snail mail surveys, and those are, by the way, going, going out, out the window. They're just too lengthy, too costly. You know, we have greater technology these days with live phone surveys. You know, those are costly as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have IVR phone surveys, which are a lot less expensive and give you great response rates. You have email surveys, live chat surveys, website, you know, surveys that pop up or kiosks, or you even have the technology with cell phones, mobile text, you know, SMS text back and forth to take a survey. Mm-hmm. So really, you know, there's no single cookie-cutter way of surveying your customers, and the organization must really examine the unique way of combining all of these methods and styles together to create the optimal uh, survey uh, method. Yeah, yeah. Actually, you touched on something there, which is response rates. And there's nothing worse than uh, throwing something out there and just getting a, a, a terrible response rate. I mean, it feels lousy, doesn't it? And, and these days... What would the response rate be with snail mail as opposed to, for example, a post-call IVR survey? How would you, how would you differentiate that? Or maybe an email uh, survey. What, what would, the, would the response rates be in your experience? Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot depends on the organization and how much of a relationship they have with their customers, of course. You know, customers feel like more part of a membership or they're engaged and they really want to give feedback, then your response rates will vary. But typically with snail mail, you're getting 1% or even less sometimes. Mm-hmm. And the statistical validity there is just not a good. Uh, and often it's skewed because people are responding because they're very upset. They're the upset ones. Mm-hmm. Um, versus a convenient type survey through email, you know, mm-hmm. you're looking somewhere in a, in a high, you know, somewhere around 10%, mm-hmm. 10 anywhere up to 5%. You know, live chat, you can yield somewhere between 25 and 50%. Wow. And, uh, and then you also have a live phone um, and uh, live phone surveys. Those, those are typically your highest, around 60%. Um, but the IVR surveys that are going out also are yielding a pretty good, um, you know, sometimes 30 to 50% as well at a lot less cost. Right, right. Yeah, because that's all automated. If you have the postcal IVR survey, that's totally automated, mm-hmm. isn't it, Joe? It is. It is. You are limited to to, uh, to a lesser amount of questions, of course, which mm-hmm. is good. Um, yeah. And you get a good response rate. Right. Now, I think uh, in these surveys, oftentimes less is more, and uh, you can really concentrate on what's important, and it, it causes you to uh, to refine what it is you want to ask people. Um, and, and roughly speaking, I mean, what would the cost be, without going into any specifics, but the, the cost of a, a post-call IVR survey as opposed to an email survey as opposed to, say, snail mail or a, a live person? Uh, do you have a, a rough estimate of those? Yeah, I do. I, I think email, you know, email surveys are going to be one of your cheapest uh, methods, uh, your least expensive methods. Um, they're anywhere... You know, they can be anywhere from $0.10 cents to $0.25 cents a survey, you know, a completed survey. 
And then you've got your IVR uh, surveys, and they can be anywhere from 25 cents to a, a dollar per survey of feedback. Your live outbound surveys can go anywhere from 14 to $17 a survey. Mm. Snail mail, you know, snail mail is anywhere around, you know, between $5 and $8 a survey, mm. okay, because you have to process that data after it comes back in, and it usually takes a human being to do so, or you might have some technology that does it. Um, and so, you know, definitely the technology-driven um, survey methods are a lot least expensive and more efficient. Right, right. Okay. No, that's, that's an eye-opener. That's great, great input. Uh, let's see, Sean, you've got a question there. Yep. <clears throat> I had a question uh, come in from Carl. Uh, it's actually a chat question. We are trying to figure out why CSAT seems so different in different countries and regions that we service. Do you have any research on that? Mm. Absolutely. Oh, yep. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Joe. I think you, you you probably have some experience in that. No, I mean, if you look at the the global macro environment, you know, looking at the different uh, cultures, there's definitely a cultural difference in the way uh, different uh, you know people uh, in different cultures rate um, or score the survey questions. You know, we found this when I was at eBay. We we had set, set up a global a program to measure our, our customer satisfaction in, in all of the countries we had a presence in. And we definitely saw a difference. And, you know, in some countries, you know, they believe that the only person that gets a perfect score is, is God. And so they, <laughs> they hardly ever, ever rate uh, a five on a scale of one to five, you mm. know, because of the cultural uh, difference. But you also have to look at the United States as well. Um, here in the United States, we have a melting pot of so many different cultures. And so you're going to have cultural differences as well. And, you know, you can't just assume that those that score, score you in the United States, you can't just assume that you can compare that directly with another country just mm -hmm. because of the mix of, of cultures here in the United States. Mm -hmm. So absolutely. One of the things that we – did early on at eBay is we, we actually worked with the benchmark portal and they helped us build a, a calculator, kind of a scaling um, calculation that helped us um, determine what are the differences and kind of, you know, how much of the score was due to the cultural difference. So we could actually factor that in and actually be able to roll all of the results together to come up with one single number. Mm. Yeah, you know, I'd love to dust that off and do an update on that research because uh, it's fascinating stuff. I, I recall that uh, the northern Europeans tended to be a lot tougher than the southern Europeans. Maybe it has something to do with the weather. I don't know. But uh, the Italians and the Spaniards were rating a lot more fives than the uh, the Germans and the, 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 the Danish and others. But uh, I, can, I know that this also is a phenomenon that exists in the United States, as you mentioned, Joe, uh, one of our clients is a uh, national organization, but regional with regional presences. And there's one of the regional presences, which is in the Middle Atlantic area. And uh, they're complaining that, you know, it's not really fair because their clientele is just meaner than those folks in the southern part of the United States and in California. They, <laughs> they just don't give as high grades. So it's kind of funny to, to watch them and uh, to talk with them. But uh, I think some research in that area would be really cool. Yeah. 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 And that's why it's important to look at your caller satisfaction by segment also. Right. Right. Okay. Good. 
Good. Sean, I think you've got another question there. Uh, I do. Uh, just came in. Uh, let's see. Rob asked, I think our agents are spending too much time with each customer, but everyone is afraid to attack call times because they feel it will reduce um, caller, I assume, uh, uh, satisfaction. Is there any statistical yeah. evidence uh, this is true? Well, obviously, um, obviously the whole entire process, the journey that a customer takes, uh, even entering into the through the IVR and then being able to be put in queue and the whole time uh, or average average uh, speed that it takes to get into a a person a live agent and then possibly even the whole time that may take place there all of those are factors and attributes that do drive uh, caller satisfaction you know and we you know it's it's very I think it's very wise for an organization to take those internal metrics on each of those APIs that I just mentioned and really correlate them to satisfaction and determine, okay, at what point, where is that inflection point that takes place? Is it at 30 seconds or 40 seconds or 60 seconds to where customers are really sensitive in, in, their, in, their, uh, in their patient level and where satisfaction really takes a dip and really work towards staffing you know, to to meet those expectations. Certainly, again, I would say that uh, that those are those are huge drivers um, to driving overall satisfaction. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, when you think about the average talk time uh, being a trade-off with customer satisfaction, uh, it's very hard to do a, a valid correlation study across uh, industries or across companies within an industry. But I think it's something that inside of a company, uh, as Joe was alluding to, you can do. Uh, you know, I've, I've come across uh, similar situations in places as disparate as South Carolina and Abu Dhabi, uh, in both cases with utilities, okay, and in both cases where there were high talk times, and we were talking to the uh, managers about the high talk times, and they were saying, well, you know, you're talking about a talk time that's high relative to the others in your database. And uh, for us to get down to the uh, statistical average is difficult because of our culture, because we have to spend more time on the phone being pleasant and sort of uh, there's, there's a certain cultural expectations about how long uh, we, we will be on the phone. Well, I, what I've told people in that circumstance is, okay, you know, you do need to be so sensitive to this. You can't rush people off the phone for, for two reasons. One, if they, they feel hurried, they're being hurried off the phone, their satisfaction level will go down. Uh, and, in fact, if they are hurried off the phone, uh, then they'll end up having to cover, come back and call again because they won't have gotten all of their question answered. So, in that case, your first call resolution will go down. But uh, on the other hand, we have seen situations where there's uh, high talk times. We've asked the managers to record calls and to find calls that show best practices in being pleasant, uh, being polite, uh, finishing up and, under, and figuring out the best way in the cultural setting for getting somebody off the phone without having them feel hurried and, in fact, there's been some very uh, high success rates in bringing down talk times 
by training people to do that, and in some cases incentivizing them uh, to learn those best practices. Uh, so what they have to do is to keep the caller SAT scores up that they're getting, but at the same time bring down their, their call talk, uh, their, their uh, talk time score uh, amounts in a way that's, um, that's consistent and that works. And, in fact, that can be done. Joe, I, I don't know if you have a different opinion on that. No, no, I think that's great. You know, let me just add to that in that you're not going to be able to, in my experience, you're not going to be able to meet the demand of every single queue. And you're not going to be able to staff to a certain level that you want in every single queue just because of merely budget. You have money that you have to, you know, you have to stay under a certain budget with your, with your number, the number of agents that you have on, on specific queues. So it really comes down to prioritizing which cues are the highest of highest importance, you know, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. which drive the greatest loyalty, which uh, have the, the greatest number of um, you know highest valued customers that come in into those cues. You really mm -hmm. need to sit down and maybe map out a tier one, a tier two, and a tier three uh, set of cues uh, that you need to manage towards, and make sure those tier one you're focused on them meeting all of the the service expectations that the customer has. Right, right. And, and I think coaching to examples is uh, a lot easier sometimes than just sort of saying, you know, you should have done this, you should have done that. Uh, if you have a really good example that you can play for the agents, then it makes a big difference. Uh, Sean, I think you're getting some more questions in here. Can, uh, can I hand it back over to you? Uh, yes. Uh, John asks, uh, customer stat is a lagging indicator. By the time you get it, it's all over. Are there some good leading <laughs> indicators? Woo! <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, you know, I'm a big believer in the linkage of uh, caller satisfaction to other uh, indicators within the organization. And some of those uh, leading indicators uh, certainly um, are some of the metrics that we just, we just talked about. Um, and so let me just say this. It's important to recognize those linkages. Um, and... And, and the effects of lagging and leading indicators and how they have uh, those effects on each other. Uh, that's a tough question to answer. Do you have anything, Bruce, that you want to allude to on that? Yeah, I'd say two things that, uh, in my experience. One is first call resolution. If you uh, want a leading indicator that's going to indicate that you will probably have good uh, caller satisfaction, uh, if you're working very hard on your first call resolution, that will probably be a leading indicator for you. Um, another one would be agent satisfaction. There seems to be a high correlation between agent satisfaction and caller satisfaction. So uh, that happy agents make for happy customers. So if you're working toward that, uh, you may, in fact, be turning around a situation in the center and uh, resulting in uh, better calls, more high-quality calls, and calls that are satisfying your customers. So I'd say those are, are leading uh, indicators. And then I'd... Um, you know, jump on something that Joe said there, which is linkage. And the fact is that you may not be able to uh, get every, you know, call ahead of time. But what you can do is to, you know, have calls monitored as they take place, okay, by having listening systems, technology that listen in for high decibel levels, people who are unhappy, uh, listen in for certain words <laughs> that maybe shouldn't be said in polite company but are on the telephone, um, and then having your post-call surveys 
very, very soon, in fact, immediately after the call, means that you can have a situation that is, uh, if not a leading indicator, at least a really quick indicator of satisfaction or dissatisfaction, because if somebody has a post-call survey and they push a one or a two uh, on a scale of one to five, then that can be immediately shunted off by technology to a recovery group. And in fact, uh, one of the things that we found in our, our research is that people who were really well handled by recovery groups uh, after having been dissatisfied or unhappy end up being even more loyal than those people who just had a good call. <laughs> so or never it, even... Go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. No, that, that's, that's exactly right. You know, they're actually more satisfied if you recover them or actually uh, proactively close the loop with your customers than if they even, even, never even contacted customer support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's uh, like, uh, wow, they're getting back to me. They care about me. Uh, here's somebody on the phone who's obviously been selected to uh, do a good job with people who are upset like me, and uh, they're trying to turn me around. And you know what? A lot of times they do. So... Um, uh, hopefully that's uh, a, a you know pretty good answer for for Rob. Uh, if he has anything else, uh, um, you know, uh, pl please uh, send in more if we haven't totally answered your question. Sean, back to you. Uh, okay, we have uh, uh, one other question. Uh, by the way, the last question was from John. Uh, this next question is from Steve. Uh, okay. What are the critical few? What are the critical few most important questions to ask customers? to evaluate rep performance. Mm. No, that's, that's great. And I, I, you know, when I mention those three different types of surveys, you know, um, you certainly want to go out there and try to understand, first of all, ask your customers. Ask your customers what are the most important things that you want in your experience with um, your call with customer, customer service. And also, what are the things that you feel are most important in, an, in, an, in a rep or an agent handling your call. Um, you know, so besides just the overall satisfaction question on the agent itself, you're going to definitely want to ask those attributes. Was, was he or she friendly, you know, uh, proactive in, in helping, helping me with my business or uh, answering my question? Um, there are those, those uh, attribute questions that you certainly want to ask as independent variables to driving agent satisfaction. You know, the other very important question, and it's, very, it's a very hot, um, the hot topic right now is the net promoter score. And this is uh, really a discipline right now around the question, the single question of how likely are you to recommend the brand X or the experience that you had with customer support to another family member or friend? You know, and uh, it, it, it's a simple calculation that really shows a high correlation to um, the intent to repurchase or the loyalty that someone has um, being willing to promote your business. Mm -hmm. And so those are some very critical questions that I would uh, make sure you have in your surveys to really gauge the agent's performance and the overall loyalty that they have with you from their experience. Mm -hmm. Okay, great, great. Well, we're getting toward the end of the hour, but I think, Sean, we've got time for one more question. Uh, yes, this question is uh, from Patty. And there's actually, it looks like, two questions. <clears throat> First one, what is the best way for an organization to quantify satisfaction when the caller's request cannot be handled 
as the caller would desire. Hmm. Uh, okay, I, I imagine what uh, she means by that is, uh, you know, where the problem with the call is not the agent, uh, but the problem with the call is the fact that the caller doesn't like the answer the agent has to give. Is that how you interpret that, Sean? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, great one. Uh, you want to take that one, Joe? <laughs> well, you know, we had the same problem, and I, I'm hoping I'm answering this question um, appropriately, but uh, we had the same problem at eBay is that agents were being held accountable for uh, situations that weren't, weren't in their control. It had to do with the marketing campaign that uh, marketing had sent out this week or a manufacturing issue or something that had to do with a product. Um, and because of, uh, because of those issues or situations the customers were in, they were taking it out on the agent, you know, in their satisfaction scores. Mm. And so you never, ever want to remove the, the customer's sentiment, their feelings on their experience with your organization. You really need to take those and use those as learning opportunities. Mm -hmm. So I would never, ever suggest that you take and delete those okay, from the organization itself, but you might want to think about removing some of those surveys from the agent's scores um, themselves, mm -hmm. uh, but never from the operations in, in learning uh, on how to improve your business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'd just like to say one other thing here, too, because I'm always very sensitive that a large number in our community are part of, of uh, governments, uh, their nonprofits, uh, their educational institutions, so in some cases, there are public utilities. They're either monopolies or near monopolies. And the question sometimes comes up, should they care about customer satisfaction? And, you know, I think the answer is definitely yes. And it's not just because all of us like to be loved. It's also because there are regulatory agencies that uh, can uh, be problematic if, for instance, a utility is giving bad service. Um, nonprofits will definitely get hurt in terms of uh, donations to them, et cetera, if they don't give good service. So I think that in the nonprofit, uh, not-for-profit sector, it's just as important to be right on top of the, uh, the customer satisfaction um, metric. Very, very important one. Okay, Sean, uh, or, or Joe, do you have any final uh, comments before we uh, we close the session. I think it's been really meaty. Really appreciate your uh, being on today and uh, sharing with us your insights. No, I appreciate it very much. And, you know, I have a lot of experience in, in how, how to drive an end-to-end -end program throughout the organization, you know, really linking in and being able to be the thought leader in in uh, sharing insights from your customers. That's, that's the you know, you really hold the, the, the crystal ball, you know, customer support on what the customer is thinking. And so it's important to share those insights with the other functions of the organization, like product, operations, marketing, so they can really change because they, they also have an effect on call center satisfaction. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, driving that change through the organization is very, very critical. Okay, great. Well, thanks very much, Joe. We really appreciate it. Uh, Sean? Well. I want to thank everyone for joining today. Everyone who did ask the question will get a free copy of Bruce's book. Uh, our winner today of the All Industries Report uh, is John Foley. Uh, John, could you email us at calltalk uh, at benchmarkportal.com to uh, make sure that you uh, heard this, you're still uh, on. Um, 
Our topic for next week, as voted by the audience, is first call resolution, uh, how important, how to uh, measure. Uh, thank you again for joining our show, and uh, we'll look for you uh, on our next show, which is October uh, 14th. And uh, until then, uh, have a great uh, day, and thanks again for joining. Bye-bye.